0: Our Bible reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and I'm reading from verse 18 through to verse 4 in chapter 16, and I'm reading from the New International Version. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done amongst them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. This is the word of God.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Adam, and it's great to have you join us today. We are in week seven of our series called Untroubled Hearts. We've been looking at Jesus' final words to his disciples. It's his final moments with his closest followers, and so he's telling them and us what really matters to him. Now, you might remember two weeks ago, we looked at our relationship to Jesus. We saw that he is the vine, we are the branches. We are to abide in him. Last week, we looked at our relationship to one another. We are to love one another. This week, Jesus turns to talk about our relationship to the world. And I'm sure you noticed in the reading that there's some pretty strong language in here. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, let me set it up this way, and I want to talk to the kids for a moment. Now, kids, I'm sure that you've been going for lots of walks lately. Walks around your neighborhood, walks around your estate. When I drive home from work in the evening, I see people everywhere taking a walk through my estate. And I bet that your parents have said something to you, either before you go for your walk or during your walk. I bet they've said something along the lines of, don't walk on the road stay on the footpath. Now why do they say that to you? Is it because they're being mean? That They don't want you to have any fun? No, it's because the roads are dangerous. They love you and they want to protect you, so they warn you about walking on the road. Now we do this all the time, we warn those we love about potential danger. Not because we're being mean or harsh, but because we're being loving. We care for these people and we want to protect them. Well, this is kind of what Jesus is doing in this passage. He is warning us about the danger we will face in the world. Not because he's being mean or harsh, but because he's being loving. He wants to prepare us. He wants us to know the danger we will face in the world so we can live faithfully for him in the world. And this is kind of what we'll be talking about today. As followers of Jesus, how should we live in this world? How should we relate to the world? And as we'll see, the answer that Jesus gives us is confronting because Jesus challenges a lot of the ideas we have about how we think we should relate to the world as Christians. So for example, some Christians think that we should be like the world, that we should blend in, fit in, that we shouldn't be weird, we shouldn't be different, otherwise people won't listen to us. But if we follow this line of thinking, our lives and our churches can become like mirrors, that don't reflect Jesus to the world, but actually begin to just reflect the world. Other Christians will say, no, no, we don't need to be like the world. We need to be against the world. We need to be opposed to the world. But when we live this way, our lives and our churches can become a little bit like boxing, a boxing match. You know, We just hit back and fight back and we try to take down everyone else, which is not what Jesus calls us to do. Other Christians will say, no, 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 we don't need to be like the world, we don't need to be against the world, we need to be removed from the world. I mean, we need to retreat, we need to pull back, we need to run away. But again, when we live this way, our lives and our churches, they can become like bomb shelters. We retreat, we bunker down, and we just don't care about anyone else. But Jesus is calling us to something better. In fact, in this passage, Jesus shows us another way. He shows us two important truths that we need to hold in balance when we think about our relationship to the world. Jesus tells us that as his followers, if we are connected to him, united to him, it means that we will be hated by the world. We will be rejected, ridiculed, and worse. But this doesn't mean we need to blend in or hit back or run away, because as Jesus also tells us, we have been sent into the world. We are to bear witness to Jesus. We are to show the world the love of Jesus and to share the message of Jesus. And these are really my two points for the sermon today. These are the two important truths that we see come out in this passage. Number one, we will be hated by the world because of jesus number two we are to testify to the world about jesus now before we look at these two things let me just say something about the word world because it's an important word in the bible and it can mean a a few different things for example sometimes in the bible the word world can simply refer to the created world the universe and everything in it Now, obviously, this is not what Jesus has in mind here. He's not telling us to uh, be on guard for hatred from the mountains or or to bear witness to the ocean. Other times, the word world can refer to the world of humanity, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. So, for example, when Jesus is called the saviour of the world in John chapter 4, it means that he is the only saviour for all people no matter your background or your ethnicity. More often than not, though, when John uses the word world, he's referring to the fallen world, the world of human beings fractured by sin, the world system that is in rebellion against God. So, for example, in 1 John chapter 2 Uh, This is what John writes about the world. He says, the world and its desires, its sinful desires, its desires that are uh, opposed to God, pass away, he says. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, it's this third category that uh, Jesus has in mind here in this passage today when he talks about the world. It's this world system that is ignorant of God and opposed to God. So with that in mind, let's look at our first point. We will be hated by the world because of Jesus. Now, it's not nice to be hated, is it? I mean, no one enjoys being hated. But the fact is, sometimes you can be hated even if you don't do anything in particular. Sometimes it might be simply because you are associated with someone or because you have a particular last name. For example, can you imagine what it's like to live in Australia and to be related to Ivan Malat, the the serial killer who committed horrific crimes? I mean, can you imagine what it's like to live in Australia and to bear the last name Malat? Well, Jesus says in this passage that to be associated with him, to be connected to him, to bear his name, to be a Christian, that will be enough to warrant the hatred of the world. So he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And then he says in verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus is saying we should expect to experience what he experienced. As his followers, we will walk in his footsteps. We will experience hatred, rejection, and opposition. Not firstly because we're particularly horrible or hateful people, but firstly and mainly because we belong to Christ. We will be hated by the world because of Jesus. Now that word hate is a strong word, isn't it? In fact, I bet if you're a parent, you don't even let your kids use this word. And yet here, Jesus uses it multiple times. And so what does it mean that the world hates Jesus? What does this hatred even look like? Because I'm sure that you probably know people who aren't Christians, who don't love Jesus, and yet they're incredibly kind and loving and generous people. I mean, they'd probably even come to church if you invited them. It just doesn't seem like they hate Jesus. So what does this mean? Well, the truth is, hatred can take many different forms. Hatred doesn't always look violent or antagonistic. Now, it might look that way. It might look like Richard Dawkins. It might look like Christians who are persecuted or killed for their faith or or churches that are burned down. But the fact is, hatred might simply look like God-avoidance. It might mean that you live in God's world and you receive God's gifts, but you basically ignore God. You live as if he doesn't exist. For example, think about it this way. Imagine when I get home later tonight, and I walk through the door, and uh, my wife, Molly, greets me and asks me about my day. Imagine I walk straight past her, I ignore her. I go, and I sit down on the couch, and I pull out my phone, and I start to scroll through my photos and delete any photos that she's in. I then get up and take down the photo frames off the wall and I pull out the photos and I begin to cut her out of the photos. Now, I haven't really said or done anything to her, but what I've done is incredibly hateful, probably more hateful than using harsh words because I've essentially ignored her, cut her out, pretended she doesn't exist. And yet this is what we have done with God. We've tried to ignore him, tried to cut him out of our lives. It's not just that we don't know God, it's that we don't want to know God. I mean, this is hatred of God. Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, they will treat you this way. They will hate you because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. This is what it means that the the world hates Jesus. But I guess this still leaves us with the question, well, why? I mean, why does the world hate Jesus? I get, you might think, why Ivan, or the name Malat, provokes hatred. I mean, Ivan Malat did horrific things, but why Jesus? I mean, what has Jesus done? He taught people, he healed people, he loved people, he included people. Why would the world possibly hate Jesus? Now the short answer is in verse 22, and the answer is that Jesus exposes our sin. Look at what he says there. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, now that I've come, they have no excuse for their sin. The world hates Jesus because Jesus exposes our sin. He convicts us of our guilt. Now Jesus is not saying that the world was sinless or not guilty before he came. Now, the Bible is clear that the world was sinful before Jesus came. But now that Jesus has come, he has fully exposed our sin and our guilt. This is why John, in other parts of his gospel, he describes Jesus as the light of the world. Now, light can be both comforting and convicting. It can be comforting because it enables you to see If it's dark, it enables you to walk without stumbling. But it can also be confronting because it exposes us. I mean, if we're doing things in the dark that we don't want other people to know that we're doing, if a light is turned on, we will recoil from that light. And this is the world's reaction to Jesus. We have recoiled from his light. Because in his light, we see ourselves as we really are. And it's not pretty. This is the way it's put in John chapter 3, for example, verse 19. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. I mean, Jesus is so pure, so lovely, so beautiful, that to step into the radiance of his light is to see our dirt, our guilt, and our shame. But the good news is that Jesus, the light of the world, has not come just to expose us, just to help us see ourselves as we really are, but also to lead us home, to help us to see God and to help us to know God. I mean, this is why when you are confronted with the light of Jesus, you really have two options. You can either run from Jesus in loathing, or you can turn to Jesus for cleansing. You can either reject what Jesus reveals about you, or you can receive what Jesus offers to you. And this is why, to become a Christian, it does not mean that you resolve to be good. It means you recognize that you are not good, and you turn to Jesus for cleansing. And when you turn to Jesus for cleansing, when you step into his light, a fundamental change happens in your life. You you no longer belong to the world that is opposed to God. No, you become a child of God. You become part of the kingdom of God. You belong to Jesus. In other words, another Bible passage puts it this way. You are not of the world, you are in the world, sorry, but you are not of the world. Now, of course, this means that you will set yourself up in opposition to the world because you align yourself with the one who is the object of the world's hate. And this means that you will be hated in the same way as Jesus is. This is what he says, verse 19. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, the world not only hates Christ, it also hates those who are attached to Christ. Because in many ways, Jesus continues to expose the guilt of this world through his people. His people who walk in his ways, who speak his words, who show his love, who share his gospel. Now I'm not saying, and nor is the Bible saying, that Christians are to sit in judgment over others that Christians are intrinsically better than others. I mean, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Now, Christians are not to be the sin police, ready to tell everyone everything that they're doing wrong. But rather, as we live our ordinary everyday lives, as we seek to obey Jesus in every sphere of our lives, as we seek to stand firm on the truth of Jesus... We will stand out from this world we won't just fit in blend in or conform but we will stand out and it will cause offense irritation and misunderstanding now it might just look like disbelief that you wouldn't watch a a popular tv show or movie it might be ridicule because you don't go to a particular bucks party or hens party It might be rejection because you refuse to partake in certain activities. I mean, whatever it is, as a Christian, you need to understand that you will stand out, that you won't fit in, that you won't always be accepted. In fact, you'll often be rejected. One writer says, to be at home with Jesus is to be at odds with the world. And it's important for us to embrace this truth because the sooner we can embrace the idea that if we belong to Jesus, we won't be popular, we won't be part of the cool group. I mean, the sooner we can embrace that idea, the sooner we can embrace joyful living for Jesus, the sooner we can stop fearing man and following others' opinions, and we can start fearing God and following His commands. Now, of course, we need to admit that sometimes Christians are hated by the world, not because they're like Christ, but because they're unlike Christ, because of their unchristian behavior, because they're antagonistic or harsh or unloving or cowardly. I mean, this is undoubtedly true, and often to our shame. But more often than not, this opposition from the world uh, to us as Christians, it will come because we are out of step with the world. And of course, sometimes this hatred and opposition, it, it won't just lead to misunderstanding, irritation, offence. It might even lead to persecution and death. This is what Jesus alludes to in chapter 16, verses 2 to 3. He says, They will put you out of the synagogue, the, the place of worship. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Now, remember, Jesus here is talking to the disciples, and all of the disciples, except for John, they would be killed for their faith in Jesus. And this has been a reality for followers of Jesus throughout history and even to this day. In fact, according to Open Doors, an organization that works with the persecuted church, an organization that we support and give money to as a church there are an estimated 260 million christians in the world who are in the category of severely persecuted who face intimidation, prison, even death for their faith in jesus some people estimate that there have been more than more sorry more christian martyrs in the 20th century than all of the previous centuries of the christian era combined Now, this shouldn't shock us. This shouldn't surprise us. This shouldn't make us think that God has lost control because Jesus told us that this would be the case. Jesus told us that we will be hated by the world because we belong to him. We need to know this. We need to be prepared for this. But we also need to know that this is not the whole story. This is only half the story. I mean, if this was the whole story, we might be tempted to just kind of blend in to start to fight back or to run away. But no, Jesus has something better for us. And this leads us to our second point. And that is, we are to testify to the world about Jesus. See, as Jesus followers, we not only will be hated by the world, but we also have a message for the world. And this is why we cannot blend in. We cannot fight back. We cannot run away. Because we have been left in this world to bear witness to Jesus. Now, Jesus' mission in this world was to seek and save the lost, to bring us to God. And this is why in just a matter of hours after this conversation with his disciples, Jesus would be hanging on the cross. Why? He's dying for a world that hates him. He's dying for rebels like us. He's giving his life for our sins so that we, who were once haters of God, might become children of God. And Jesus then rose from death, returned to the Father, and poured out his Spirit so that this mission might continue in the world. That's what he says in verse 26 of chapter 15. He says, when the Advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now we'll talk more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit next week, but notice what the Spirit does. Jesus says, He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And this is why the Spirit has come, not to start a new mission but to continue Jesus' mission, to seek and save the lost, to bring people to God. And the Spirit has been poured out to help us as we participate in this mission, as we too bear witness and testify to Jesus. That's what Jesus says in verse 27. He says to the disciples, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now the disciples that Jesus is speaking to, they have been with him from the beginning and they will play a special role in bearing witness to Jesus. They will be integral in the spread of the gospel. They will be leaders in the early church. Some of them will even write the words of Scripture. But the fact is, you and I are called to the same mission. We have the same purpose. We belong to the same Jesus, and we have been filled with the same Spirit. Now, we don't write or add to the words of Scripture, but we bear witness to Jesus through the words of Scripture. I mean, when you receive Jesus, you receive a purpose, a calling. You are to tell the world what God has done in Jesus. And you are to show the world the love of God in Jesus. I mean, what a grand and glorious purpose. In fact, this purpose is so grand and it's so glorious. Even if you're called to give your life for it, that cost would not be too great. Now, How can I say this? It's because of what Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 16. He says, All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. I mean, Jesus does not say, all this I have told you so that you will run away and hide, so that you will build a bunker and buy some weapons, so that you will avoid suffering and avoid death. Now he says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. See, the ultimate danger for the Christian is not death. The ultimate danger for the Christian is desertion. It's not being killed for Jesus, it's walking away from Jesus. Have you ever heard the story of Jim Elliot? Jim, his wife Elizabeth, their 10-month-old daughter, and a group of others were missionaries in Ecuador. On January the 8th, 1956, Jim and four others were waiting at the river to see if the Indians to whom they were ministering would come and allow them to cross. Now, according to Elizabeth, who wasn't with the group, the last message they received at headquarters was that the group had sung a hymn and then crossed over the river. Now, that afternoon, all members of that group were killed, stabbed to death, speared to death. And John Piper comments on this story, and he says, and God protected them. He protected them from unbelief from cowardice, from fear. There was victory on that afternoon. And it's reverberated for the last 50 years and it will continue on into eternity. Friends, there is a greater danger we face than death. On the Open Doors website, there is a a blurb that I think beautifully summarizes what Jesus is saying in these verses. It says, all over the world, persecution against Christians is rising both in frequency and intensity. Though it differs in nature, the common thread is that persecution exists where the gospel is being shared. For that very reason, listen to this, open doors doesn't exist to stop persecution, but to help the local church continue to follow Jesus no matter the cost." And that's what you and I have been called to as well, to follow Jesus no matter the cost, because he is better. Now, I know that this all sounds a little bit daunting, but we need to remember that we're not alone. The Father has set his love on us before the foundation of the world. Jesus has chosen us out of the world, and the Spirit is with us as we go through the world. I mean, we have nothing to fear. If God is for us, Who could be against us? I like the way D.A. Carson summarizes these verses. He says, Meditation on these verses forges men and women of God with vision and a stamina whose roots reach into eternity. It calls forth a William Tyndale who, while constantly fleeing his persecutors, worked at the translation of the Bible into English. Through betrayal, disappointment, and fear, he struggled on until he was captured and burnt at the stake. His dying cry revealed his eternal perspective. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. In a similar vein, William Borden prepared for missionary service in the Muslim world. Born to wealth, he poured his money and his example into missions. After the best of training at Yale University and Princeton Seminary, he arrived in Egypt to work with Samuel Zwemer. Almost immediately, he contracted a terminal case of cerebral meningitis. His dying testimony did not falter. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. C.T. Studd, born to privilege, gifted athletically and trained at Eton and Cambridge, turned his back on wealth and served Christ for decades against unimaginable odds, first in China and then in Africa. He penned the words, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now as individuals and as a church... We are not here to build a club for the comfortable. We are not here to shelter ourselves from suffering. We are here to give our lives for Christ, come what may. We are here to bear witness to Christ, whatever the cost. And so here's the question we need to ask ourselves. As an individual, am I bearing witness to Jesus? with my words, with my works, with my love, with my life? And am I willing to pay the cost to do so? What about as a church? Are we bearing witness to Christ? Earlier this year, I mentioned to you our plans to adopt a new expression of our vision and mission, or our purpose and our priorities, as we will call them. Now, the timing on this has changed, but our plans to do it have not. And let me tell you why. It's not because we like change. I mean, we've had more than enough change already this year. It's not because it's been almost 10 years since we've done it, and, and it's time to do it again. No, we want to take hold of a new purpose statement for our church, because we have been sent on a mission by Jesus. Jesus. We have a historic opportunity to bear witness to Jesus in our day and in our community. We have a glorious purpose. And we want to keep the mission of Jesus before us. We want to put it at the heart of our church. Together, we want to do what Jesus has called us to do, to bear witness to him, to invite others to find life in him. And so I'm incredibly hopeful about where God is leading us and about where God might take us if we remain humble before him and open to him. And so I hope and I pray that you will join me in this. It won't be easy. It won't be simple. It won't be comfortable. But it will be worth it because God is for us Jesus is with us. The Spirit is in us. We will be hated by the world, but we are to bear witness to Jesus in the world. And let's do it together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us the gift of your Son, the most precious gift in the world. And thank you for his finished work on the cross so that we might know you and become part of your family. And thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have poured out your spirit to lead and guide and empower us. Lord, help us to look at what is before us, to count the cost and to move forward anyway, because you are worth so much more than anything else in this world. Lord, give us the privilege to pour our lives out for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let me offer these words as a benediction, as a blessing over you from Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen.